Stanford, the tree is useless. It's a tree. Wow. It's a tree. It's useless. I don't like Stanford. Welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Yak Sports Podcast. I'm Joe Deck. Leela McRae is with me. We'll have Mike Baber or Barber joining us uh, later from the Richmond Times Dispatch to talk Hokie and UVA fallout. Uh, as far as Leland and I are concerned, um, but reaction as far as our UVA listeners are concerned and what he thinks uh, is coming ahead for those two programs. But first, Leland, let's jump into high school hoops. We are recording this right after we're getting some of these results in the region tournament. Um, some shocks, some surprises, and some expecteds. Um, first off, let's talk about it. Unfortunately for Ari Lee, their season ends tonight in overtime, getting stunned by the Strasburg Rams. Yeah, they had to fight back to even get to overtime. They they looked down and out in the third quarter and the fourth quarter they came on and and uh had the momentum going into overtime. So I was kind of hoping that they'd be able to overcome that in overtime, but they just didn't do enough. And uh that's you know, this is what I was talking about last week. At some point you got to lose and have your season go over and be over. It stinks. It stinks that they're done. We like for Lee and Wilson and Draft all to have won tonight so we'd have plenty of games to cover but if you don't win you don't advance so i'm fine with it it's just it's it's a shame and a team that's gone to the state final the last two years winning one of them you know they're out earlier than they thought they would it was a home game they were the favorite and they're out early so it's it's a shame but a team that probably had lower expectations than these previous years anyway so uh it just ends tonight instead of later in the playoffs yeah, and, you know, Coach Mickens did a good job with this team. I think even winning the Shandoah District Tournament was a surprise to everyone other than maybe the most diehard of Lee fans that that was a, even a possibility for this team. They played well, um, but Strasburg, you know, this is the kind of game Strasburg likes to play. They don't want to score a lot of points. They want to hold you down and beat you, yep. uh, and they, they managed to do that tonight. Uh, Wilson also had their season in tonight against George Mason, uh, so I believe that was six straight uh, for Wilson to close the season, not the way the Green Hornets had hoped to end the year. But uh, again, they lose, and that's the second of three Shenandoah District teams to fall tonight. And and you would have had some maybe some thought logic. Maybe what I was hearing this week was, hey, Wilson had a week off. They can kind of reset. They played well at the beginning of the season. They had some good runs. I, it just seemed, I mean, they were down by 29 entering the fourth quarter. I mean, they had to fight back to lose by 20. So it just wasn't good for them tonight. And they're playing the one seed of the Bull Run District. You can't expect the number one seed coming out of that district just to be some team that's going to roll over. And George Mason isn't. George Mason is not the team we're used to seeing at the top of the Bull Run. But they must be solid in the in very least. And, and they took care of Wilson tonight. And uh, so, yeah, that's two teams out of it. And, uh, you know, we were starting to look at how what could happen. Ooh, Wilson could upset them and then Lee could win and we could get a good local game. We get nothing. We got bull run matchup instead yeah i don't know what i was saying just there um yeah only two, two shenandoah district two. teams yeah. did win so that is the bull run semifinal uh with strasburg and mason the other one will be stewart's draft who took down central which was a bit of a surprise because honestly leland coming into the season i thought central was maybe the team to beat in region two uh to be and they did not do that they they fell here in the region opener to stewart's draft who you know three ridiculous got a little hot and uh, ended up knocking off the Falcons, which big win for Stewart's draft and Coach Gale. 
yeah, they were behind, I think like five or six. And then they must've gone on a little tear because all of a sudden they were up, up five or six and then up and then spread it up to 10. And then they were able to maintain from there that that style they play is dangerous in the postseason. I do hate now that they have to play East rock, a team that they, that's very familiar with them. Uh, I wish they could have played Strasburg or, um, uh, George Mason instead, I, I would give them a better shot against George Mason than I will against East rock. Cause they're not going to surprise East rock. So, uh, we'll have to see what they could do though. East rock lost last week to Lee in the semifinal of the Shenandoah. You can't rule out the fact that Stewart's draft could get something going with them. And if they're going to make the amount of threes that I saw them make against Riverheads, they're going to have a good shot at beating East rock. They're going to have a better chance. They haven't done it either time. They played East rock this year. They've really gotten handled, but Hey, Things happen. It's postseason. Maybe East Rock's not playing like they were in January. If you're a short strap fan, that's what you're hoping. Hey, we're rooting for that. We want short strap to go as far as they can. So uh, they'll play. I think those games all getting moved to Thursday now. So I think they will go to East Rock on Thursday night. And uh, that should should be a good one. I thought it was Friday they got moved. Friday, to. sorry. Yeah. It was Thursday. Now it's Friday. That's the push. Yeah. Yeah. So push to Friday. Um, and yeah, so that'll be the Shenandoah District semifinal, uh, which means that we will have one bull run and one Shenandoah District team moving on to the state finals. The question is who represents each district? Um, because as you mentioned, East Rock, despite losing at halftime to Madison, ended up coming back and thumping them in the second half as expected. Yeah. If I had to put my money on it and no disrespect to George draft, I'm, I'm saying East Rock's going to represent the Shenandoah. And I think George Mason will probably end up representing the bull run. Yep. Uh, moving on to girls draft, they will play George Mason. They, they, did, they, lost. they lost. Sorry. They lost to uh, George Mason, 42 to 40 uh, at a buzzer beater heartbreak for Stewart's draft girls, but um, good season for them. Nonetheless. Yeah. And it was a road game. So they, they weren't favored, but they were in a position to win that game at the end. Uh, they had a big shot, like a, a big mid range jumper, knocked it down uh, to tie that game. But then uh, they, there was still a little bit of time on the clock. So I guess the Tom Brady of uh, girls basketball and the bull run came down and hit the game winner and, and took it from them. So uh, they were hoping to go to overtime, but they don't get that. They lose by two, their season's done. And uh, that's, that's it for uh, girls, uh, in our in Augusta County uh, yeah. draft was our only hope. So that's, that's it for the two B girls. And uh, we have to focus on uh, Riverheads girls. Yeah. Uh, so in class one, let's talk about the boys first Riverheads. Uh, they thumped Stonewall. They move on to play Cumberland Wednesday. Ha ha weather pending. Uh, <laughs> and then Riverheads girls, they'll play Stonewall. Uh, they will play either Rappahannock or the central Lunenburg winner. Yeah. The girls, uh, I have weird looking notes. I'm I'm sorry. I'm messing you up. Riverheads beat the uh, Stonewall girls 65 to 33. Uh, that was tonight. So they advance. They will play Rappahannock County. Um, and that's gonna, that's scheduled for Thursday. The boys beat Stonewall 46 to 28, uh, Monday night. They, they're going to play Cumberland on Wednesday or uh, playing in for the Wednesday. Like you just said, that's going to get moved to Thursday. We, uh, we know that, I guess it's not official, but it's going to get moved. Might be that double header at Riverheads Thursday night. So a good opportunity to see, you know, two teams that are ranked high in the region and might have a chance to advance onto the state, uh, playoffs. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, for class one to be representing the Augusta County area, because, you know, like we said, class, class two looking a little bleak at this point. Um, I think we were kind of expecting that coming into this year. A lot of the teams were rebuilding. Um, we thought maybe Wilson had a chance in the boys. 
um, maybe draft if they got hot draft right now is, you know, the last hope on the boys side. So yep. we'll, we'll be pulling for them on the boys side, Riverheads, obviously boys and girls in class one, hopefully they can put it together. Quick note that I got from Jeff Wright tonight, uh, Sarah Moore at Riverheads went over a thousand points. That's only the third uh, lady gladiator to ever do that at the, in school history. So that's very cool. Um, you know, you hear about a thousand point scores, but to hear only only a third in school history, that's that's quite the honor. Um, back to your overall topic. I, I think it's worth saying, you know, we thought the Shenandoah might be pretty strong in basketball this year and and East Rock beating up on everybody might, you know, might show a lot of good teams behind them. And it, it didn't pay out that way. I mean, draft is still in it, but you, you had to have Lee win at home tonight for you to say Shenandoah was was solid this year and you you were hoping for a Wilson upset to to prove it solid it's not looking good and especially if Stewart's draft doesn't advance well I guess only one Shenandoah team is going to advance anyway it Shenandoah's top it's just East Rock and uh we'll see hey hopefully Stewart's draft proves us wrong on that but it's just been East Rock all the way they had one blip but it just looks like that's our only hope and uh they're gonna have to reload for next year but that said, Wilson has a lot of young guys. Lee has a lot of young guys. Riverheads is still young. So the Shenandoah is still is, is probably going to be pretty tough next year. Yeah, Ari Lee is a team I would watch out for next year. The, the, they do have some players graduating, but a lot of those key players are juniors and they're yep. coming back and they got a lot of experience. They played their best basketball at the end of the year, which to me was really telling. Uh, again, I know this season ended earlier than they were hoping, um, but you know nothing to be ashamed of there in Stanton. Uh, for for that program and yeah you you mentioned Wilson they've got a lot of young guys too so Mm -hmm. in draft I mean draft is going to lose some players but um, that system is ingrained in those kids so they know what they're going to be doing if if they find kids that can nail a three ball they'll be right back in the mix but they've been a half top half team in the district ever since they've gone to that style even if they have a losing streak or something like that they end up in that top half somehow, some way. So credit to Coach Gale using what he's got. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Fort does when they move into the Shenandoah district because uh, they were young. They did not have a very successful regular season, but they were very young. Um, they did have kind of a more successful postseason than I think yeah. <laughs> anyone thought was imaginable. Now, their season did end losing 85-42 to 42 to Spotswood, um, yeah. but that's just a buzzsaw. So, yeah, it's Spotswood, yeah. And but the yeah, they were energized at the end well. of the year. That was the that was the quote in the article that I like seeing. So yeah, so both both uh, boys and girls for Fort are out in three C. Well, Leland, I will toss it over to you to recap the wrestling. And this is going to sound Homer, but Riverheads had the best weekend at the state championships. They came away with uh, two state champions: Cam Cook Cash at one thirteen and Hunter Sams at one forty five. Uh, that's the 15th and 16th individual state championships to come back to Riverheads. Strong program there. Uh, really good in the early 90s. Solid all the way through up till now and then and really rolling right now with that coaching staff, with the the culture surrounding that wrestling program. Really good there. Um, uh, GW Schultz really trying to get back to that state championship level. Came up just short again in, a, in I think, another overtime match. Uh, so came in second at 126. Lane Cash, Jude Robson, who's only a freshman. Uh, Kalen Kwasinski, I hope I said that right. All those guys, you know, in the top three of the state and a lot of juniors and underclassmen in that list that I just uh, threw out there. Riverheads finishes third in the state. Um, they finished four straight years. They finished third or better, third or second. Um, they just can't get over the hump that is um, – uh, Grundy, Grundy's just dominant, and uh, I think I had I think I had some 
information wrong last week, and I tried to go back and look at how I was wrong. I know at one point Grundy and Rural Retreat were in the two different classifications, but they're in the same classification now, so they both finished ahead of Riverheads. Riverheads was right there, though, with Rural Retreat, so um, positive there for Riverheads. Wilson did very well at states, finished fourth in the state. They got Chase Wilson, a third-place finish. Pocosin won the state for 2A or Class 2, so uh, good there for them. Uh, Stewart's draft uh, showed Wells too, also finishing fifth. Both those programs took a lot of guys there. A lot of guys placed, you know, sixth and better. That gets some points. Uh, Daniel uh, Pakula and Asher Coffee. I just want to call those guys out. They finished uh, well there. Um, so I think both of those guys were third. So good job there. And then Buffalo Gap, a lot of hopes coming into the season about what particularly some of those individuals could do. Yeah, they would like to put that together for a team. Um, title or or something high the, the whole team thing didn't really work out but those individuals they had two state runners up and Cullen Bindle, Seth Fitzgerald, Ryan Benitez finishes third um so all three of those guys were looking for that state title and they were all of that caliber they were right there looking at it uh just couldn't get it get that first place finish but commend all those guys uh it's a good group of wrestlers there uh, a couple of them graduate but they'll have some strong guys come back but a good program out there a gap but Good wrestling in the area, and that was shown down at Salem. And uh, it was it was a fun weekend to watch Twitter all day uh, Friday and Saturday and see all these updates coming in. Yeah, and, you know, uh, congrats to all our local wrestlers. Uh, and I know that that season ends first in the winter. And, um, you know, it's it's nice to see the success that our, our kids had. I know that you're excited about all the Riverhead State champions and yeah, uh, I, I but I you know Wilson's been beating them in the Shenandoah and yeah. and so a credit to Wilson they're they're a very good program I'm not trying to just be Riverheads Homer but hey a couple titles did come home to Riverheads I, I that never bothers me <laughs> yeah well heading back to the gridiron very briefly um, Broadway knows who their new football coach will be it will be former Bridgewater Eagle defensive tackle Danny Grog. Yeah, and he's coming. He's a it's a hire within. There was a four year assistant. He's been working on the D line, uh, so they're going to keep the same thing going there at Broadway. That was the job that I kind of indicated I thought was one of the better jobs in the area, just with the fan base, the commitment, um, the capability of doing well, and and the history there. But also with with not as high expectations as some of these other programs had. Um, so I was interested to see if they got an outside hire. Um, they're staying within, so hopefully that works out well for them. I think that's a that's a nice job there. Um, we'll have to see how it works out. Uh, it's always easier to hire within, but uh, hopefully it's the right move for them. That just leaves Buffalo Gap. We're waiting to hear who's going to be the next head coach at Buffalo Gap. So, uh, you know, we're waiting to see who will uh, interview next after <laughs> after we get uh, Coach Warren's interview here coming in. But uh, yeah, it'll it'll be uh, interesting to see who they get at Gap. I'm. I'm anxious. I, I want to know. <laughs> yeah, I want to know too. But, you know, I'm patient. Um, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's move on to NASCAR. Uh, the Daytona 500 recapped. My boy Paul Menard, I was dead on the money. He was running right there in the top 10, right outside the top five, until unfortunately he caused the big one there late. And uh, I hated seeing that. But at least Paul Menard is a true. A uh, good guy and admitted that he made the accident and he apologized and admitted that he was wrong in that bumped him in the wrong spot. Unlike a uh, former seven time champion cheater uh, and Jimmy Johnson, who is a low life <laughs> scumbag. Um, it was a real shame to see his car get torn up during that race. I shed no tears, but anyway, 
this is all a long-winded way of saying Denny Hamlin ended up winning it, which was great. Um, he's a Virginia boy. Um, yeah. The state needed Chesterfield, some, yeah. Yeah, the state needed some good news, so they get a Daytona 500 <laughs> winner. And uh, I thought it was really touching, too, the whole Joe Gibbs son passing away oh, and that yeah. whole storyline with it and, you know, interviewing Joe Gibbs in the after the race. That was one of those that was one of those that I was like, man, I don't think that's appropriate. Like you could tell he just wasn't that was the last thing on his mind was talking to media about it. I mean, he couldn't even form his own like sentences. And I don't think that's I don't know. I just had a problem with it. Let the guy enjoy the moment. Let him take a moment, given all that he's gone through in the last month. Uh, yeah. Let him enjoy you can have that the camera first. on him. That's yeah. Not a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Let him let him have the moment and be able to collect himself for a second before you put a microphone in his face. I think for the sake of his son passing away, I, I do agree with you. I, for, for those sports where media is in the middle of it and especially NASCAR, they put their guys out there yeah, front and center all the time. I don't generally nine have times a problem. Out of 10. Yeah, it's different, yeah, but, but given this circumstance, yeah, given this circumstance, I am actually with you. I'm not going to argue with you on it. Uh, but I thought what he was able to say, what he was able to collect kind of caused reaction from me. So, um, oh, yeah, I, very not touching. a complete loss. And, very uh, touching. yeah, I, I mean, I like Joe Gibbs. I have no problem with Joe Gibbs, you know, as a football coach or as a race owner, I, I like him. And, uh, so I was happy. It is really cool how, and explain it how you want so often in NASCAR, this kind of stuff happens where it's just like meant to be situations, especially following deaths. Like, especially looking back at the Dale Earnhardt. I mean, the next, the next week, Dale Earnhardt car wins the race. And then later in that season, uh, Dale Earnhardt's one of his cars won the Daytona that he passed away during. Uh, then the next week, his car wins a race. And then his son wins the next trip to Daytona, you know, seeing these Toyotas finish one, two, three, all owned by Gibbs you know, a couple of weeks after his son died, who was very involved in the race team. It's just really cool. It's really cool that it happens like that. And, uh, it, there, you can probably still find a lot of positives to say and a lot of good feelings without it being such a storybook finish, but there it is. And it, it's awesome. Yeah. Good story there. Um, the next race will be at Atlanta in NASCAR and my, my, my Bubba didn't finish well. He, he no, didn't really run neither did well. my Menard because he got in the wreck. He finished 29th. Um, yeah, but he wasn't running great before then. Menard? Oh, no, Bubba. No, Bubba. Bubba my yeah, Bubba. I told you Bubba wasn't going to do well, and I told you why. He did well last year in the same car. I don't know what you want. Your reasoning doesn't apply to what happened last year when win. he finished, what, second? Yeah, well, he didn't win. Um, if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> Neither did your guy. If Let's you ain't first, fun. you're last. Um, I know you wanted to skip over college football, but I did want to mention – our favorite quarterback to ding, oh, or at yeah. least my favorite quarterback to ding, announced he's going to Maryland, where no doubt he will miss a bowl game. So won't be anything new. I mean, he would have missed a bowl game this year had he started for us. So <laughs> he'll be throwing to Savoy. Savoy went there too. So wow. uh, well, you know what? They deserve each other. I'm, I'm just glad they're not in the ACC. And I think your quote right there matches what Jeff Wright said. Uh, but yeah. I'm glad they're not in the ACC. That's oh, I really wish they were comment. in the ACC. I would love to play Savoy and Josh Jackson. Our <laughs> ragtag defense would look like Alabama when we played those two. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, uh, 
Yeah, that's fine. I I appreciate they're not. They didn't go to UVA or something. I wish they would have. Hashtag not scared. Hashtag 16 straight. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Well, I'll move on for you, Leland. Um, Before we go to Mike, let's talk about some other quick hitting topics here that happened this week. Uh, Mary Baldwin, their season comes to an end, but still a very good season for Mary Baldwin. Yeah, like their best season in 15 plus years or something like that. And what I really enjoyed seeing, you know, the reason I've kind of perked my interest, they have a local girl on the team, Leah Calhoun, who played at Buffalo Gap, took took them to a state championship appearance. Um, uh, her and her, one of her teammates there from Buffalo Gap, uh, uh, Hannah Varner, they're on the team. But Leah Calhoun took a season award from the USA South Atlantic Conference as a uh, rookie of the year. So uh she led the freshmen or red rookies, however they phrase that, in points. Uh, she had was averaging six defensive rebounds a game and 2.3 uh, steals a game. So really showing how um, effective she was on both ends of the court. But, yeah, congratulations to Mary Baldwin. And, I mean, with locals on the team, it's going to keep my interest. Their coach was coach of the year, so good job by the, the lady squirrels there. Yeah, uh, I agree. JMU softball got started. Uh, this past week, uh, they lost to Cal in the opener, which raised some eyebrows, but then they beat number six, Tennessee and number 19, Oregon, which raised more eyebrows before finally falling again to number 18, Kentucky three and two and ranked number 18 right now. Yeah. And they making good picked up her hundredth win. Um, Odyssey Alexander looked good over the weekend. Kirsten Roadcap, the catcher, did as uh, as doing well. She's going to be one of the leaders again this year. But Kate Gordon stepping up and uh She's leading the team in average 471, four home runs in five games. She was CAA Player of the Week. Uh, Megan Good was CAA Pitcher of the Week. She's a Fort graduate. Anybody listening that doesn't know that, I mean, she's a local girl. Um, so everybody rooting for them up there. And uh, it's interesting that they just play weekend tournaments uh, these next couple of weeks. And they're going to go out to Arizona for two straight weekends. I guess they just stay out there. Uh, they'll pick up uh, good games with Arizona and Arizona State. And then they'll host a tournament before – the more regular season gets going where they get the midweek uh, game against a team in the region and then the conference games on the weekends. But uh, JMU looking, I mean, their hopes are to get into that uh, college world series and then actually get um, to play at the, at the college world series. They get in that tournament and they want to advance. And uh, this is a year for payoff. Megan good being a senior back from her injury. And then, but her injury kind of allowed Odyssey Alexander to really grow up last year. And some of these other girls to really uh, be playing better. So getting the whole team back together, healthy. I, I, I really am rooting for them. And I think they have a good chance of doing some things. Well, if they don't do it this year, they won't. So, I mean, pretty simple. Yeah. I think, I mean, Megan good as an, as a USA level player. I, I was, I was reading some tweets about uh, someone that was scouting that said, how is she not already on the USA team and and all that? So I, I'm wondering if if that changes. But I mean, so that's the type of level she's playing at, and uh, incredible that she comes out of Verona. So uh, yeah, we're rooting rooting for them. And yeah, this is the year to get payoff. But I will say, other other girls than just Megan are very strong on that team. But yeah, this is maybe the. the oh yeah, peak. but I mean, you ha- you're not going to have this much yeah. talent on that team next year. So, yep. Um, moving on, there's some Major League Baseball rules being proposed some more drastic than others some more realistic than others uh the more drastic the less realistic uh, all right hit one at a time here all right let's go first universal dh 
everybody always complains about the DH not being consistent between the two leagues. It's never bothered me. It doesn't, it doesn't even make me hesitate. It just, it, it's, it's what it's always been as far as I've understood baseball uh, for major leagues. So I really have no strong opinion there. I guess the only way to fix it is to go all DH. I don't mind that the National League kind of has the pitcher hitting. It adds in another layer of strategy. It just doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Cats out of the bag. Go Universal. Having separate rules in the same league is stupid. And Tim Kirkchen agrees with me, so point me. A rule <laughs> requiring pitchers to face a minimum of three batters, except in the case of injury or when finishing an inning. I think that one's weird. I... It just seems like too much. I, I agree. I, I get you're going to bring one guy in, but I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like it. I don't really want to see that one change. I'm not pushing for that. I'm all about games being shorter. I'm all about it being more viewer friendly. I just I'm not buying into that one immediately. I'd like to see what some of these other ones are going to say due to the time of the games before I would jump to that one. You're going to have too many coaches in big, big games, especially have players faking injuries. Uh, to get out and create a matchup too. And then they'll have a miracle healing. I hate a sport where people fake injuries. I don't know how you would, I don't know how you would police that. Um, a 20 second, I had a dig at soccer there. I know. I just, I let it go right past (laughs) me. Uh, a 20 second pitch clock, uh, that commissioner Manfred has been big for, and they've actually done it in the minor leagues. I think this one is probably the most realistic to happen. Aren't they putting it in for spring training games? I, I mean, I, I actually I think have no they should problem go with ahead this. with that. Yeah, I'm all. I about have it. no problem with this. I think enforcing it. I is it the first time that you're late? It's a ball. I, I just the first time if, is a warning. I, okay. I don't even know if they're talking about making doing that. But here's my thing: if the batter's not in the box, ring them up for a strike. I, I thought they should have stuck with that rule. I, apparently that is a rule, but they never enforce it. Um, I, or maybe they got rid of it. I don't know. I just know Big Poppy was always saying, no one's going to rush me into the box. And I was like, you know what? That's somebody who does need to be rushed into the box because he takes seven years for an at-bat just because of how long he's got to undo every glove and every piece of equipment and strap it back on in between every pitch. It takes forever. Watching a Yankees-Red Sox game, I, I mean... You're, it's like watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, it's just you're that's all you're doing for an entire weekend is watching one Yankees Red Sox game because it's going to take that long to finish. <laughs> well, I I don't have a big problem with the pitch clock. Um, I'm fine for that. I think that will have a big impact on the game. It'll push things along. You have to have some strong umpires in there to enforce it the right way. If a batter's yeah. getting in the way of it, then he's got to call it out. And maybe maybe initially not have that strike rule, but I also like yeah, to hear it. that there would be a warning, at least to the pitcher who's not achieving what he's got to be doing. So I'm pretty good with the pitch clock. Uh, I'd like to see it. Uh, I like to see it here in spring training, watch a game with it, and see how it's operating to really have a full opinion, but I like it. This one makes no sense to me. A single trade deadline before the All-Star break to replace the what's, traditional July 31st yeah. and the August 31st waiver trade deadline. What's wrong with the way it is? I, I don't is, have any problem with Who is with complaining the, about that? Yeah. yeah. Trade deadline at the end of July kind of makes sense. It should be after the All-Star break, so I don't like the moving it up. And then the waiver thing, that's fine. There's rules around that. Teams have chances. Leave it the way it is. The expansion of rosters from 25 to 26 with a maximum of 12 pitchers. I do think that has a potential 
not this year, but in the future to get past because yeah. teams are always looking for extra bats, especially if they don't do the universal DH. Now, if they do a universal DH, then that becomes less of a pressing need. You think the players union would also like that because it's an, it's another job. It's another job. So, yep. Yeah. Well, they're the I have no problem with it. I guarantee it. it. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. A reduction in mound visits from six to five. I, I'm just getting used to the six. I ha- I didn't think that was a big problem. I, I I'm not in a push to change that, but also I, if if they change it, I probably wouldn't. Raise I want my- I would lower it to three. You don't need more than three. Yeah. I I. I <laughs> I let wouldn't lower players, that quite that much yet. But. Let the players play. Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I, I don't know if I. I don't agree with three, but I don't have an opinion about it going down. This rule has zero chance of being implemented in the near future, in my opinion. A rule which would be tested in spring training and the All Star game, in which each half inning and extra innings would begin with a runner on second base, a la slow pitch softball. Yeah, I. I don't like that at all. I that just changes the game. I, I yes, a 17 inning game isn't isn't great for the fans there, but how often are those really happening? Does it have that big of an impact? I I don't like that at all. I do not like just setting someone on base. We might as well have ghost runners if we're doing that. Are we are we going back to fourth grade kickball? I mean, come on. I agree. I don't think it's going to happen. Tweaks to the draft order to reward winning teams and penalize perennial losing teams um as a fan of a team that's about to be a perennial losing team for the next five (laughs) years i really don't like this one uh and i think you would be hard pressed to get that rule passed yeah i don't like it um i don't like it period i don't like it let the let the marlins get the first pick a lot of years you know that's the only way they ever have jumped up uh is a collection of talent and then they sell them all off the year after um, the pirates, you know, they've built themselves up to be on the brink of playoffs uh, many years. So uh, the Yankees don't need to have a benefit of having high draft picks too, just cause they're always contending. So just, just leave it the way it is. I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't know this was a problem. Same thing with the trade deadline. I didn't know it was, it was a big problem. I know we have, um, how even the league is and uh, everything is an issue. I don't think draft order really solves it, especially when you start looking at the percentages of what first round draft picks really do. I just, just leave this alone and fix your, fix your luxury tax, fix your salary cap stuff first before you go to this. Yeah. I was going to say salary cap and salary floors for teams, I think is a better fix for teams not trying to win. If that's what they're trying to fix. I think the Washington Wizards, though, kind of start to when you talk about salary floors, I just keep looking at the Washington Wizards who give ridiculous people max contracts. Um, So I I don't know if a salary floor absolutely fixes things, because then I think you're just going to get overpaid guys. But well, but it means that teams are going to have to spend money. It means teams like the Marlins can't it means teams like the Marlins can't play nothing but rookie deals like have a real cap. And it'll spread the talent out. No, because the Marlins still won't try because they're losers. And Derek Jeter doesn't know what he's doing. Um, if you have a hard cap and, and everybody is try- I think it would change the dynamics. I, think I agree. The they're never going to get a hard cap without a salary floor, though. I'm just telling you. The players well, union is not going to allow That's fine. I just, I, I'd hate to see some of the contracts that come out for people I've never heard of. Okay. A rule that would permit two-sport athletes such as Kyler Murray to sign major league contracts as an enticement to play baseball. As soon as you pass this, you've admitted you're a second-tier league. 
You yeah. just want Kyler Murray there. Like you just want the name. You want you want Kyler Murray there. You well, think it's that's not gonna fix Kyler everything? Murray specific. It's talking about anybody the in the equivalent. future. The, yeah, I I don't know what change the rule. Fine, but I mean, if you're just going after begging these guys to come play for you until August, you're setting your you're just you're putting your feet in the sand behind NFL. I just don't know who who are we talking about here, right? Uh, yeah, Deion Sanders was a long time ago. Bo Jackson was a long time ago. And Deion Sanders wasn't even that good. At, and Kyler Murray baseball. is not them. No, Kyler Murray's not them, and Deion wasn't even that good at baseball. Bo, Bo, when you look at his stats, wasn't amazing at baseball. He's a big power hitter, uh, and he wasn't bad. But I mean, he I'd wasn't. I think either one of them concentrating, I would say they'd have been pretty good. Maybe not he'd Hall have been of a Famer, Hall of Famer but... for sure if he had concentrated on one. Um, but he's a he's an all star in both. Um, so. Very, very talented. And I would have loved to see what would have happened if he hadn't gotten injured, of course. But oh yeah. In both sports, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they want to change this rule, that's fine, but I just eh. Yeah. Well, those are the big rule changes. <laughs> I, I don't think they're gonna do that one either. But um Machado signs ten years, three hundred million to play with the Padres, the fathers. Um interesting move. <laughs> Uh, Manny's definitely all about the money and not about winning anytime soon because I'm sorry. I know folks are saying, well, this makes the Padres a better team and it does, but it's like if the Orioles signed Manny, Uh, okay, we're better, but at what cost? I, I agree. The one thing I like about it is I've gotten to hate Manny Machado over the last little bit. I, I recognize some of his early dirtiness, but the, the dirtiness just this past season really rubbed me the wrong way. I'm excited he's in San Diego, so I'll never really have to hear about him much. Yeah, well, I mean, we definitely won't hear about him um, because, like I said, and you know what? I'm fine with that because, you know, some of the other teams, like the Phillies, I don't like Philly teams. Um, the Yankees, of course, you know, that's <laughs> Yankees, Red Sox. That's the nightmare. But the fact that he's not going to one of those teams uh, helps me sleep at night. So that's good. I- I enjoyed the tweets right after they, this announcement came that people were like, well, don't don't count the Padres out for Bryce Harper, too. I'm like, really? They're, you're going you're gonna to take the Padres are going to get both these guys with two 10-year, $300 million contracts. Like, no, Padres are done. That's what they got. Bryce is going to have to go somewhere else. I thought that was hilarious tweets coming out where people thought the Padres might get them both still. That, that was special. Uh, I heard the White Sox talk kind of kick up today and then the Phillies just remains the most consistent I I wish he wasn't going anywhere just because I I didn't mind DC having their star but I just I'm ready for it to be over I'm ready for these guys to sign I'm ready for him to sign yeah um I I know the White Sox GM was shocked that Manny signed with the Padres um but you know that's whatever but yeah I I think Harper either ends up in D.C. or the Phillies. It seems increasingly like he won't end up in D.C., especially since D.C. basically offered Bryce Harper what Manny just signed for. Bryce is now going to say to the Phillies, the Giants, and whoever, you have to beat that. Um, And and not by a dollar. It's going to be like 330. Can he he get that? Um, I don't think I would pay Bryce more than Manny if I was a Major League Baseball GM, but... Somebody's gonna. Somebody's somebody's gonna probably bite that bullet eventually. Now, here's the other interesting caveat with this Manny deal: he can opt out after five years, which would put him uh, right after his age thirty season. <laughs> he won't want to do that. He'll uh, still. 
It depends on how these next five years go. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't, I don't think he'll be in a position where he's going to want to. Honestly, I don't think, I think he's going to be a Padre in five years either. I think he's going to get traded. They're going to still eat a lot of contract then. Oh yeah. Well, let's. Uh, I, I agree with you there, Leland. But let's move on and let's bring on Mike Barber of the Richmond Times Dispatch. <laughs> Back here on the Yak Sports Podcast, we have Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch back on the show. And Mike, you were at the Virginia Tech-UVA game uh, that happened last night, and I just want, we wanted John here to talk about it and talk about uh, the rivalry also. But let's talk about the game itself last night. Um, you know, Tech is down a big guy, you know, one of their main guys, but they battled throughout that, that game and kept it close. And, uh, I mean, you... UVA is a better team, but what did you take away from that game and, and how close it, it was compared to the first one? Yeah, you know, it was interesting to me. I, I kind of left the arena feeling like if you were a, a UVA coach or player, um, you weren't satisfied with, with that performance and you have a lot of things to work on. And if you were a Virginia Tech coach or player, you had to feel pretty good about executing your game plan and, and feel like that if you'd had a better shooting night from three, it, it's a different ball game. Um, you know, UVA, there's a lot of concern with the turnovers, and we've talked about that, and, and that's been a thing now for five or six games. And uh, there were some times in the first half where defensively they just weren't in gear. And, you know, Virginia Tech, to their credit, were able to, to take advantage of that. DeAndre Hunter getting in early foul trouble. I thought Tech did a good job, could have done a better job of taking advantage of that. But, you know, at the end of the night, I, I think I walked away feeling like Virginia's probably a 12 to 15 point better team. And, uh, the fact that they didn't win by that many to me is, is a bit of a victory if you're Virginia Tech. Something I really took away kind of was what I was saying today, talking about the game with coworkers and whatnot. Is I, I honestly want UVA again, and I, I know, I mean they're a better they're a better team than what Virginia Tech is, but I want to play them again because if we can get Justin Robinson back for the ACC tournament, I'd love to go at them fully loaded and have the kind of effort that we had last night and see what can happen. Yeah. And, and that's certainly what the feeling was inside that tech locker room was, uh, Hey, you know, we've, we've cut the gap down. Uh, I think it's one of those, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would I, agree. I think that, you know, the scenario that was kind of being played out by tech players was, you know, we, we played pretty well. And if we play our best, you know, we can beat this team. And I think that's right. But the other side of that is if Virginia plays their best, you could be looking at, you know, what we saw the first time, a 20-point yeah. swing. I, I think it would be a great matchup again. I, I absolutely hope that Justin Robinson is back for the postseason because, I mean, he's such a great player, but he's such a good kid, and and you hate to see things kind of ending the way they're ending right now for him. It would be a lot of fun to see the matchup again. I think both teams understand each other really well at this point, um, but, and it might come down again to hey are you hitting your shots or you're not hitting your shots are you turning the ball over and um i would have no objection to a, a third meeting of those two yeah i would have to think we won't shoot three for 27 if we played him again but that was the worst shooting performance from three since 2016 so Ugh. i think i think that's a safe bet that uh, it won't be that bad again yeah i mean i i'll save that for later with leland but um 
<laughs> Let's move on to just, you know, the buzz that was in Castle last night. I know watching it, it seemed like it was a electric atmosphere there, and that's always a tough place for teams like Duke, Carolina, UVA, you know, the top programs in the ACC to come in and get a win. Uh, just talk about the atmosphere there at Castle last night. Yeah, you know, that's the thing at Virginia Tech. And last game was a sellout, but there were a lot of empty seats, and, and it wasn't much of an atmosphere. And, and the fans were ready for this one. And, you know, certainly players are going to talk about the sting of a 22-point loss, but, you know, it hits fans too, right? I mean, the fans were not pleased with the way that went and, and wanted another shot. And, and I thought the energy was great. And I thought in particular with this team, you, you know, it's a shorthanded team. It's a team that's getting by on effort and energy. Um, those are areas where the fans actually do make a difference. You know, people always want to talk about home court advantage and, you know, coaches always tell you it's about who you're playing, right? Like teams are great at home if they're great teams. Um, but I thought this was one of those cases where the crowd did lift Virginia Tech that, you know, when your legs are a little tired, um, hearing that roar the crowd kind of gets you going a little bit and, and can carry you to that next media timeout or or the next stoppage of play, whatever it is. And um, yeah, I thought, you know, when the game got close, when it got down to a five point game, uh, the place was rocking. It was loud. Uh, certainly Virginia has played in those atmospheres before. That doesn't make it easy. You know, it makes it a little easier if you've seen it, but it's still a challenge. It's still hard. And, and I thought that, you know, Virginia Tech's been much better at home and going into this game, the UVA players talked about, hey, they're a different different team at castle. And I think the score reflected that. I think the energy reflected that. And, um, you know, if they were full strength, who knows, but I thought the crowd gave them a big lift in this one. Well, let's talk about buzz Williams. And, you know, a lot of people coming in, Virginia tech was a top 10 team at one point this year. Now, obviously not with the loss of Robinson. Um, I know that you media guys probably don't like the indefinite with Justin Robinson seeing that the indefinite with PJ horn was surprised he's playing today. Um, but what? how do you think would you grade Buzz's season so far heading down into the home stretch? Yeah, well, you're right. I, and I hate the way he deals with the media, and I think it's harder for fans to attach to the team. Um, you know, there's no midweek press conference. There's no open practice. There's so few articles being written about Virginia Tech, and it goes to your the main point of your question, which I think he's doing an A job. I mean, I think he's doing remarkable with – losing Clark, with losing Nolly, with having the injuries to, to Robinson and Horn. Um, if you told me all of those things and, and then said Virginia beat him by 22 the first time and then say, hey, even at home they couldn't get past him, and then said, hey, what do you think the record is? I don't know that I'm – in fact, I know that I'm not putting them as a 20-win team already, nine ACC wins already. So um, while there's a lot of things that I don't love about Buzz Williams, uh, his coaching ability is not one of them. His coaching ability is – phenomenal. And, you know, I think he's done that almost every year in Blacksburg, if you think about it. I mean, the guy has the program getting better every year, but every year there's a major injury, a major loss. And I don't think he gets enough credit for some of the stuff he's coached around. It's, he came in here with a vision of, Hey, I'm going to rebuild Virginia tech. Here are the steps. And every time he was ready to take a step, somebody threw him a curveball, And every time somebody threw him a curveball, he, Hit it out of the park. I mean, to, to mix our sport metaphors here, I think it's really underrated in that regard. You know, everybody talks about the recruiting and the attendance and, and some of the in-game stuff, but his ability 
to adjust to changing personnel with the injuries starting, you know, the first year with Med Hill and Chris Clark and, and KJ and now Robinson. These are the biggest players in the program. And, um, you know, Ty Outlaw missing two seasons. He's really dealt with an unbelievable number of personnel issues and come out the other side in really great shape. So Leland and I have poked fun of Tony Bennett being labeled maybe the best coach, active college basketball coach. Now, we both will admit he's a very good coach. He's doing another good job this year. Would you say this has been his best season so far? I don't know about that. What they did last year in terms of consistency up until that NCAA tournament, um, I think that to me was still his best. Um, Certainly he's done a great job, and I wouldn't dispute him being in the top three or five. I'm partial to to Mike Krzyzewski and – I thought thought we saw that this year um, when they beat UVA without uh, their point guard. You know, I thought that was, and they did everything different, right? They switched on all the ball screens, switched on everything defensively, um, really changed what they were doing for a night to win a game. Uh, But Tony Bennett, to me, is his in-game adjustments are right. He knows when to push the buttons. and, And we've heard more this year than any year that I've covered him, less about, you know, coach adjusted how we handled the ball handoff or coach adjusted this. And we've heard more coach got into us at halftime. And um, it seems like they've, they know what this team is capable of. They've put this team in the position to win. And a lot of the coaching this year is, is getting the intensity up and getting that, that continuous energy you need to play the pack line defense where you're constantly moving and you're constantly aware of, of everybody else's position. And um, so I wouldn't say this is his best job, but, uh, he's doing a great job again, and, and he is as good as there there is right now. All right, looking forward, uh, yeah, both teams have NCAA tournament aspirations. UVA's are probably a little more easy to to assume, but let's talk about those for a second. We'll talk about the Hokies, but you know, Jay Billis keeps saying Virginia is a national championship contender, Final Four team. It's hard to argue with that. I, I, I watch the same basketball as everybody else. Yeah, I, I root against them, but I, I'm not going to argue that point. Do you think they they can get over the hump this year and get to that Final Four? And and, and then and then what do you see happening from there? Can they pass Duke once they get there, if, if that's what happens? Yeah, that's the interesting part. Right now, you know, they might be the second-best team in the country. Uh, unfortunately, the only team that can beat them is in their league. So are they going to meet him again in the ACC tournament? Are they going to meet him at some point in the NCAA tournament? Um, Duke has lost you know, to Gonzaga. Will somebody else take Duke out of their path? Look, the way Virginia is constructed, they're good enough to win a national championship this year. Uh, and, and at some point here, they're going to get over that hump and be a Final Four team. And people are going to stop asking the question of, you know, can Tony Bennett, can the pack line get there? Um, you know, the answer is yes. It's going to happen at some point. Now, will it be this year? I don't know. I mean, they have as much talent offensively as we've seen them have. They've got as much freedom offensively in terms of putting the ball on the floor and going to the rim as we've seen them have under Tony Bennett. Now, part of that is resulting in some of those turnovers, and there's some other issues that come with that. And Will they be able to tighten everything up by the time March comes around? And and you get that vibe from these guys that they want to win every night, and they want to be the, the best team in the country every night, but you all also got a little bit of that vibe of, hey, this is all a work in progress, and and all those fans and all those media people that just hammered the program for losing to UMBC that said, hey, 
The only thing that matters is what you do in March. I think there's a little bit of that in the back of the mind of this program where they say, you know, we want to keep winning. We'll win some ugly. We're going to tweak here, tweak there. But you guys told us that the only thing that matters is what we do in March. I think there's a part of this team that's going to have a tremendous chip on its shoulder when March starts. And I'll tell you this. I would not want to be in the bracket with UVA. Um, certainly you don't want to be in a bracket with Duke, but I think UVA is a hair behind in terms of somebody I don't want to play if I'm anybody else. Well, they are scoring more, but I, I think to your point, winning in March is something is what they haven't done yet. They've won the ACC. They went under, you know, nearly undefeated in the ACC last year. They've won the ACC tournament. They got to do the different thing, I think, to to get to get that attention, to get that respect. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, it's I always judge this way, and I think about the year they lost to Syracuse, and people tell me then say, well, Virginia, you know, hasn't had a Final Four team. Well, that was a Final Four team that kind of gacked it up, right, and blew yeah. it at the end. And it's kind of the same way I feel about when you get in the NFL playoffs and you get to championship weekend, where you got the AFC championship game and the NFC championship game well only two of those teams are going to win and only one of them is going to win the super bowl but most years you kind of feel like all four are championship caliber teams so i think uva's had final four caliber teams i think certainly the one that got upset last year by umbc uh was a final four caliber team could have won a national title um i don't think that the umbc loss should change that narrative now it's a huge part of it that they choked and didn't get it done um but you know to, to think that the program has some sort of inherent flaw or the system or it's not good enough. Um, yeah, everybody needs to see them get over the hump, but um, trust me, that's going to happen because this program has been too good too many years in a row not to. Well, I mean, there's there's adjustments been made for them to score more points. So I think that I think credit to Bennett for acknowledging they need to score more points to go along with that defense. Yeah, and I think that's right. But I also think part of it is, you know, they've been good for how many years? They're able to get players like Kyle Guy, like yeah. Andre Hunter. So they're getting better recruits. I think there's this sense like Tony Bennett would really rather play four corners and win the game six to three, and that's not <laughs> the case. You know, I think that, yeah, when the first few years with the pack line and putting it in, when they maybe weren't as talented all around offensively, they were winning more games 60 to 50. They're winning a lot of games, guys. 70-something to 50-something, 70-something to 40-something. Um, the only thing Virginia takes out, everybody talks about low-scoring games. All, all Virginia does, they're like orange juice concentrate, right? You get all the good stuff. You get all the made shots. They just cut out a lot of the missed shots and turnovers. And, um, you know, I think that, that this team has more firepower offensively. I think it's partially an adjustment by Tony, but it's partially an improvement in the program that is allowing him to do some more things on that end of the floor. All right, let's look at the Hokies real quick. I, I want them to get to the second weekend. That's what I said at the beginning of the season. If, if we go into the postseason without Justin Robinson, that's not happening. What do you – how are you viewing the postseason? You know, basically NCAA tournament is kind of where I'll uh, want to be aiming for. Where, where do you – how deep do you think this team can get, and obviously with or without Robinson? Yeah, I mean, going into the year when they had Robinson and Clark and Nolly and the whole, whole lineup – I thought this was a Sweet 16 team, and once you're there, especially with Buzz's coaching on, on a two-game weekend, I thought they could be an Elite Eight, maybe the surprise Cinderella Final Four run team. They're not deep enough to do that, I don't believe. No, it's, yeah. I already see signs of them running out of gas. I will tell you, I think 
they're already in the NCAA tournament. Now, it, granted, if they lose every one of their remaining games, maybe the committee dings them for the bad finish. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to get by either Notre Dame or Miami, possibly or probably both of them. I don't think they'll beat Duke or Florida State. Yeah. I, I think this is going to be the scary thing for me. I think they might end up in another one of those dreaded 8-9 games Ugh. that everybody wants to avoid. And even if they find a way through it, being a really bad matchup for the second game. So yeah. I think Buzz has got them going back to the NCAA tournament, which with the injuries he's had is amazing. Justin Robinson, it's not just about getting him back for the NCAA tournament. For him to be effective, they need him to get him back in the ACC tournament yeah. so he can get some playing time under his belt. And that means they're going to have to win a couple games there, which... You know, it's, it's going to be hard to do, but um, I do think that, you know, NCAA team, absolutely, once they get there, uh, could they play their hearts out for a game? Yes. I think it'll be hard for them to get out of that first weekend. All right, Michael, we appreciate having you on. You uh, you binging anything lately? You know, I rewatched Sopranos. Nice. Uh, and I've really, I'm, I'm almost at the end. I'm midway through season five, and I think there are six seasons. And then I guess it's about time, if you look at the calendar, to, to binge watch Game of Thrones, rewatch that in time for, uh, you know, what I guess is the final season coming up in April. So uh, those are my two on the list. And and then I actually, I do plan to rewatch The Wire at some point. That might be a summer when the baby comes kind of project. Oh, you got one coming. That's great. Yes, baby due in June. So uh, well, congratulations. Thank you. We'll change the schedule a little bit up. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We'll try not to bug you uh, while you're in the delivery room for our podcast. <laughs> I appreciate that. Although it would be an interesting, interesting segment. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we appreciate having you on. Uh, everybody, make sure you follow uh, Mike Barber, Richmond Times Dispatch. Mike, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, folks, let's get into the final block here on the Yak Sports Podcast. Leland, what is dominating your life? I'm not going to say this is necessarily dominating, dominating my life now, but it has in the past, and that's the NBA All-Star Weekend. Uh, I watched a little bit here and there this weekend, and I don't know how much I have to talk about this weekend, but back in the day, it was the thing to watch when I was a young kid, and, and plus where the NBA was then. You actually had dunk contests that had top-level stars in it. Um, I really enjoyed that when I was a kid, and it's fun to watch. Um, it was fun to watch back then because – you saw Kobe going against guys and, and in the generation before that you were Jordan and Wilkins and all the good guys going. So um, it's cool that it used to be good. The dunk contest has completely fallen off. I can't remember the last time it was relevant. They still do that last on Saturday night. I think they need to move that three point contest to last. Cause that seems to be, I mean, that's always what we're most interested in, but I mean, I was probably big time interested in that back in the day as well, but it was cool. I mean, they had both Curry brothers in it this year. I, I did watch that. Uh, they had Dell and some other legends out there before that shooting. I thought they should just throw Dell in the middle of it. I think they said that on Kornheiser's podcast. I thought that would have been cool. But at least they had him out there, have all three Curry uh, brothers out there. Obviously, Dell from Fort Defiance, so the local tie there. But then with the All-Star game in Charlotte, that, that was cool stuff. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Saturday night's not what it used to be. The, the All-Star game itself is – nearly unwatchable um i agree with the point that it's at least better than the pro bowl but it's still pretty terrible um i i, I was over there very very minimal uh for that but um yeah that's i watched a little bit of that this weekend I, you know i watched some of that instead of watching 
the AF, the uh, American uh, Football Alliance, or whatever they how how we get that AF the going there. But of American football. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it, it's it's good stuff uh, at moments, uh, but not what it used to be. Yeah, I, I don't care about the NBA All Star Game, so it, it was what it was. Um, I don't care about I don't I don't care about things you like. Good. <laughs> um, what is dominating my life is, in case you haven't been able to tell, my voice sounds a little different. I've got a cold, and uh, that has definitely dominated my life. It's probably why I was totally fumbling over Leland's notes earlier in this podcast, and um, have been kind of going through the last couple of days in a fog. Uh, I guess the one good thing about this weather, I might have a day to stay home and just stay in bed and hopefully get better. Uh, but the other thing that I plan on doing while I'm trying to get better and maybe benching is American Gods. I liked the book by Neil Gaiman. They made it into a TV show on stars. I just haven't gotten around to it. And now I need to because apparently a new season's getting ready to come out. So I need to power through it. Sounds good. What do you know that I need to know? Uh, go ahead. If you like to listen to other like music or something while you listen to this podcast for ambiance go ahead and kick it to your sounds of silence because it's about to get dark uh sports are a cruel cruel mistress in this world um we turn to them to get away from our problems of everyday life and the surrounding world and sometimes they do you wrong uh being an Orioles fan, you know, you had those few years of hope and glee, and now they're crushed at the jagged rocks below of a long rebuild ahead. The Baltimore Ravens trade a Super Bowl MVP quarterback who was at the end of his career anyway, but they have adopted a running style, which has proven to fail in the NFL before. But we're going to smash our head against that brick wall uh, and try to be the ones to power through it. So that'll be fun to watch for the next three years as we change our offense. And then I also get to hear the same people who are saying we need to build an offense for Lamar Jackson, then complain that Lamar Jackson doesn't have any wide receivers to throw to probably because he can't throw, but they won't admit that. Uh, Virginia tech is going in the wrong direction for so many terrible, terrible reasons on the football side. The basketball team is good, but they always seem to have an injury that derails them and keeps them from taking that next step, which is a little upsetting. I'm not blaming Buzz. Buzz is doing a great job, but it's just frustrating. Uh, and then uh, Liverpool, who was supposed to be the team that maybe wins a championship, right? Uh, I, well, and the Caps won a championship, but I don't know. It's hockey. I, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to lie. You're Joe. You're going to ignore the good things that happen. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Hockey <laughs> is probably the least interesting it's be slightly better than the nba for me uh, and the wizards are terrible but um liverpool was supposed to be this bright shining beacon this year um we're still have a chance if we beat man united to get back to the top of the table or even get a draw against man united uh saturday coming up we would still be back to top of the table, but I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're probably going to lose that game. We haven't been playing well recently. We got a draw at home in our champions league opener against Bayern Munich, which means now we have to go to Munich and hope we win uh, or score a goal and get a draw. Um, I don't have high hopes for that. This team just, when I was watching the recording of it today, just did not have that killer instinct that they usually have when they're at home and that concerns me. Uh, I don't think we're going to win a Premier League for the first time in 29 years this year. I don't think we're going to get out of this round in the Champions League now. So sports is just a dark world, and I will just mosey through it 
and try to move on and try to put on a brave face for everybody. You know, while we share the tech football, uh, we, we do, you do go darker than I do there, but I'm acknowledging some facts of them not being what I want them to be. But Hey man, my NFL team a year ago, we had the best, probably the best running back in the league and the best wide receiver in the league to go with a quarterback that's won a Super Bowl already. And that's just crumbled apart for the Steelers. So uh, I understand. Uh, I think we're both both going to have a little bit of struggle here in, uh, for our NFL teams. Yeah, um, the NFL is going to be a hard watch for me because while I do like the NFL, it's really hard for me to watch teams that aren't my team. Uh, and... I don't know. Uh, it's just how I am. College football, I can watch almost any game because I, I enjoy it. Uh, and I, I, I get the passion and the games matter, which Leland's going to turn into something else. But um, the college basketball is more exciting to me than the pro game. I guess maybe I just like college sports more than pro sports, and that's what it boils down to. But yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I do too. I, I like college football better. I like college basketball way better. Uh, yeah, I I mean, I still watch the NFL. I'll still watch some random Cowboys-Seahawks game. I mean, I'll, I'll, I still do that. I mean, I, it, if it's Sunday, the, the TV – on the weekends, it's on football in the fall. But, yeah, college is better. But my college team stinks. We're never going to win a national championship, so what's the point? Well, I don't know. I – I will continue, no doubt, to root for Tech all my life, whether they win a national championship or not. I guess it's somewhere in my mind it's that they will, and eventually it'll all be worth it. And maybe I go to the grave thinking that. Yeah, I'm too much of a realistic. Thanks Ricky. for bringing me down, man. Yep, yeah, no problem. That's my job. job. You brought me down. All right, mission accomplished. What's <laughs> dumb, uh, What do you know that we need to know? Something that made me laugh. And hopefully it makes the rest of you laugh immediately. <laughs> After, to the yeah, this is why I get can't on, ever close the podcast. <laughs> get on Twitter and we'll have retweeted here right after we post this. This kid, this Yankee fan, and man, he you could you knew he was a Yankee fan without seeing his jersey. You could just hear it in his voice. Uh they have they're at the at the spring training today, and they're yell they say, Hey, Manny Machado just signed big contract. And this kid just starts yelling, just going crazy. And it's like, he sounds like a 40-year-old man, the points he, he brings up. And he's just this little guy. I mean, he's probably six years old, maybe maybe even younger, just on a rant. And this isn't that he's heard his dad necessarily give this rant, because he's doing it on the fly, talking about Manny Machado going. And he's like, yeah, we don't want Manny Machado anyway. You don't want your biggest rival coming to your team. And he starts talking trash on top of it. I loved it. I loved it. It's the best Yankees thing I, thing I think I've ever seen. It was awesome. We will retweet it. I hope you watch it because it made me laugh out loud while working today, and uh, it was awesome. Okay. I disagree with the kid. I mean, I don't like Aaron Judge, but if Aaron Judge wanted to become a Baltimore Oriole, I'd high-five him on his way through Camden Yards. I mean, I don't care. Well, maybe we can get the kid on the podcast. You can, you can argue with him a little bit. Uh, I mean, he's a little kid. He's he's entitled to his opinion. He, he still has hopes and dreams for his team. He's a Yankees fan, so he can buy his hopes and dreams. <laughs> That's a very fair point. All right, let's get out of here. Good episode this week. Uh, 
you know, for a week where not quite as much has happened in the sports world. We still have plenty to talk about. And we'll be back next week with plenty more to talk about as these regions wrap up. And we hope we are still uh, watching for some of our teams to play in states. So go uh, the Riverheads guys and gals and the uh, Stewart's Draft guys. Hopefully one of those teams or, or all those teams can make it to the state playoffs. But we'll be back with more of that. Um, and plenty else to talk about. And then spring sports get going. We're going to start talking about baseball more. Uh, despite what Joe says, we're going to talk about basketball a touch more too. Uh, but we look forward to bringing that to it to you. Follow us on the Yak Sports Pod uh, Twitter page, at Yak Sports Pod. Facebook, we have a page. We have an email address, Gmail, uh, Yak Sports Pod uh, at Gmail, I believe it is. So be in contact with us. Let us know what's up. Be like Jeff Wright, who uh, helps give us good points on who's scoring 1,000 points and what else is going on in good final scores. Uh, and we look forward to interacting with you guys on social media. Uh, make sure you subscribe so you can hear us every week and tell your friends. And we'll be back next week with more on the Yak Sports Podcast. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.